We're going to the book of Jude. Technically, we're still in verse 4, by the way. Um, but I was in verse 20 last time, and I left us in verse 20. And we're going back to verse 20 because we're studying verse 4. And I hope that makes sense to you. Um, last week, I was working through, and this is my third week of the same notes anyway, on verse 4. And I had two pages yet to go, and so I thought that wasn't enough, so I added seven more. So, we'll see what happens here. By the way, thank you for the prayers for me. I, I did have the eye fixed about, or attempted to fix about a week and a half ago. And I've got about 90 days to tolerate this weird position I'm in right now till they could go back in and, and clean it up and fix it. So... This eye is not very clear, uh, sort of clear, uh, but I do know that right around 12 o'clock I get headaches from uh, trying to stare with two different eyes. It's really a weird feeling. So I know I will be done about 12 o'clock today. Um, that will happen for the next 90 days that uh, I've got the 12 o'clock headache coming. But um, anyway, thank you for your prayers and just pray that... Uh, uh, when they go back to that, they'll be able to finish that job. And I'll be very happy. So, okay, God is able. That's what we're learning as we go through our study together. And the fact is, He is always able. And I underscore that on purpose. And I, I think that's something we need to keep hearing, that He is able. We, we live in a pretty tough time, and, and yet this was not just written for our time. It's for all our brothers and sisters in Christ for hundreds of years, thousands of years. They've had to trust the same thing that you and I have to trust, that God is able. And our goal is to understand that better, because God's power to act is not limited by circumstances. And it's not limited by our opponents. His plan to fulfill what he has set will never be thwarted by another. Understand that? Never will be thwarted by another. That's his faithfulness to you, by the way, as well. As his own child, you're bought by the blood of Christ. Do you think he's going to care for you? His Son paid His life for you. You are indwelt and sealed by the Holy Spirit. You're secured in His everlasting promise. Are you thinking that God will fail you? All these things He has told us already. And as long as He maintains this character, folks, you have nothing to fear. Honestly, He's never changed before. He's never going to change again. He's what He is, so you can trust Him. And that's what we're coming down to here. I want you to be able to understand this statement, He is able. It's more than just a theological statement. It's really the heart of our faith. He is able. He is able. All that the Bible has stated, do you know we have to take by faith? We weren't there, were we? Anybody going to confess to that? I don't think so. We weren't there at the creation of the world. Do we have to take that by faith? Yes. The stories of Adam and Eve, Noah and the ark, 
stories that we read of David and Goliath. Were you there? But you believe it's true, don't you? We have so much of our past written in Scripture, and we weren't there, so we have to take that by faith. And yet the Bible is still full of our future too, isn't it? And how much of that do you have to take by faith? All of it. Every single word of it. Even though it hasn't happened yet. You have to trust in the God who said so. You have to trust Him. So what we're going through right now, what's happening now, we have to walk by faith. And Jude's description of trouble within the church, by the hands of these false teachers, that's what we've been looking at for several weeks here, that crept in unnoticed, it says. And that could be a little scary to read. It could be a little scary to think, can that happen here? Or is that happening in our country now? Or is that happening in our colleges now? Is that happening in our... Yes. And it could, it could rattle you a little bit, shake your stability. It could uh, ruffle you a little bit in your security. And nobody likes change, I know. Nobody likes those kind of things, especially if it's things that are destroying the very church we love. But what does Jude tell us to do? That was verse 20. Build your faith. Build your faith. Go with me there, because I showed you last time, there were three things that should be your characteristic, and one thing that is for your, you to obey, a command. And we're working through that. And in verse number 20, it says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. And I just stop there before I go further, and I ask, faith in what? It's not just faith. You just walk around, yeah, I've got faith. And they say, well, what's your faith in? It doesn't matter, it's just faith. No. What do you have faith in? The fact that God is able? That's Jude's conclusion, isn't it? That's what he brings us to. But like Stephanie sang in that song, we're not so unique people in this way. It's the same faith that Jude needed. It's the same faith that Paul needed. It's the same faith that Peter or anybody else throughout church history needed as well. We are called to the same thing, are we not? It's the same kind of faith. Jude mentions that earlier in his book. Our common salvation, he says. We have that in common with all our brothers and sisters in Christ through all the ages of the church. We have that in common. We have all been called to contend earnestly for the faith. All of us. It's been handed down from one saint to the next saint to the next saint to the next saint. And Jude says, now we've reached a moment of urgency. Because there are people who have snuck into the church and they want to upset the faith. They want to hit us right where we are are comfortable. Right where we put our doctrinal statement. Right where we walk every single day. They want to rattle that. So what do they go after? Those two things in verse 4. The grace of God. Let's confuse everybody on that point. Why not? That's their approach. Somehow they manage to turn the grace of God into something sinful. That's alarming. It's a terrible recipe. 
And I hate the fact that it's being bought by so many today. It is in our world, folks. It's in our churches. It's in our schools, our Christian schools. A deception of faith. And it's sad, but it's true. And the second thing that goes with it, which it's part of this, it's the second part of this sermon I still haven't got to yet, is the fact that they also deny the Lord. And we're going to talk about that real soon. But what are we to do? What are we to do in the midst of a culture like this? Jude says, well, it's the same thing I've been telling you before. It's the same thing you need to do when you have a brother and sister in trouble. As he mentions later in the book, in verse 23 and 22, he says, it's the same thing they need from you. It's the same thing you need if you're going to be a godly person in an ungodly world. Build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Verse 20. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Verse 21. Keep yourself in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. That's our calling. That's what we're called to do in this book. So let's start with a simple reminder. All right? Simple reminder. When you start verse number 20... He calls you beloved. The audience was hearing that, and I believe we're part of that audience. Spanned a couple of years, didn't it? Calls you beloved. Means you are deeply, deeply loved. And we could say, well, Jude thought that, but Jude never met us. You would think he'd love us anyway, right? Because we're the kind of people. But he's talking about more. God's perspective of you. God loves you deeply. Verse number one, he started that way. To those who are called beloved in God the Father. Beloved. Beloved ones. You know, there are those who measure God's love for them by the circumstances they're in. I hope you're not one of those. You think that uh, the week you get your payday, the Lord loves you more than the week you don't? Are you like that? That things go well for you today, and God must love you, and things are tough today, so God must think a little less of you? There are some people who go through difficult relationships, we know, in their home, sometimes maybe on the job. And when you're even being treated poorly, it's kind of hard to view the fact that you're loved, isn't it? It's hard to think that somebody actually loves you, completely loves you. And yet when somebody abuses you in one way or another, you somehow transfer that over to your understanding of what God must think of you. And you think he doesn't love you much either. So your pastor keeps emphasizing God's unchanging love for you. Some days you probably believe it. And some days you probably sit there and say, I'm not so sure, Pastor. We're prone to forget. We're prone to distort. And yet Jude has, if you haven't noticed, constantly brought this up. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved. 
Verse number one, you're beloved. Verse number three, you are loved. By the time you get to verse 20, you are loved. And every single characteristic of God's work on your behalf is showing you that he loves you. He loves you. Jude introduces false teachers in the argument from verse 4 on. Urgent problems in the church. False teachers are very good at upsetting the church's relationship and understanding in God's grace and God's lordship. And some people fall for that. These false teachers are described as changing the still waters into raging waves and covered with foam. Some need rescued from doubt, and some need rescued from the fire, and some need rescued from pollution. But folks, let's not forget, God has not changed. That's very important to mark this. His thoughts on you have not changed. Verse 20, you're still called what? Beloved. Isn't that sweet? He just went through the whole description of a false teacher and the damage he could bring. And then he comes back and says, but you, beloved, I love that. I love the reminder that we haven't changed in his eyes. Do you remember back in the Garden of Eden, Satan began with this, you can't really trust God routine. He just went on and on, didn't he? Questioning God about what he had said, questioning whether or not God had withheld some valuable information from them, uh, questioning whether or not he was, he was kind enough to let them know the difference between good and evil. Now, folks, when you really look at what he actually said, God has given them everything good. What did Satan have to offer? Evil. And he made it look like God was cheating them out of the knowledge of evil. Satan always has had this attempt to separate you from your trust in God. Do you know that? He wants to put a wedge in there and pull you away because he knows he has the advantage if he can. But there's one thing he can never do, and that is separate you from the love of God. Never can he do that. We are told in Scripture, tribulation cannot do that. We're told that distress cannot do that. We're told that persecution cannot do that. We are told that famine cannot do that. We are told that nakedness and peril and sword cannot separate you from the love of God. We are told that death cannot do it. And life cannot do it. And angels cannot do it. Or principalities for that either. Anything present, anything to come, any power out there, any height, any depth, any other created thing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. That's important to set that in your mind. When you read these words, beloved, on the page, stop for a minute and say, wow, he loves me. Because that does a boost for us. When we're in the midst of challenging times to know God is able, God doesn't change, and his love for you certainly hasn't. That's important. How easy it is to forget. So, 
Why do I bring that all up? Because as he starts this list in verse number 20 and 21 about what you are to be and what you are to do, I think that if you understand how much he loves you, you're going to want to do it. Right? Isn't that a little bit of that reciprocating thing inside of our hearts? We're all made that way, aren't we? When somebody loves us that much, do we not want to show that back? And if he says, this is what I'd like you to be, do you not say, but I want to be that. I want to be that. Even if there were no false teachers on the page, I still want to be close to my Lord. I want to trust him. Even if there's smooth sailing, I want to trust him deeper. Don't you? I want to know him more. The instructions we are reading, and I gave you just a start of it last week, and I'm going to uh, add to that a little bit here to this morning. These are listed for our instruction. And I want you to understand that everything here that you see in verse 20 and 21 is absolutely opposite what the false teachers are trying to introduce to you. All right? That word but is very important. <laughs> it's the contrast. We're not to follow them. We're not to mimic them. We're to follow this instruction here because this is what our Father wants us to be, wants us to do. By the way, folks, the instruction is for everyone who names the name of Christ. This is not for an elite few in the church fellowship. It's not designed just for the godly, whoever you want to call that certain group. It's not just for leadership. It's not to think that, oh, this is just for a pastor to do. This is just for the elders to do. This is for the trustees to do. This is for the Sunday school teachers to do. The reality is this is for everyone in the church. Every one of us. And it's so important that I mark this in your mind because if any of us fails in this instruction, it hurts the whole church. It hurts the whole church. Let me give you a picture just to help you understand this. Say that this wall was holding back the ocean. Your imagination's big, isn't it? All right. That, that wall is holding back the ocean. And it has about... 75 holes in it. But you can only use one finger. You need 74 other people to plug those holes. And if somebody in this church is saying, well, my finger's not so important, do you see what disaster it could bring on the hole? We could plug 74 out of 75 holes and still have a leak. When we talk about church growth, it's always everyone. Understand? All of us. Every one of us. Every one of us. We have to have the same priority, the same urgency, the same growth. We have to aim for the same thing, which is to bear the image of Christ. And if that's not where our heart is, we better get it this examined. Because it's for all of us. And we're doing it for each other. We're not just doing it for ourselves. I need to grow in Christ for your sake. You need to grow in Christ for my sake. 
That's what the body is supposed to look like. So understanding this is for everyone. These four items of verse 20 and 21 are for everyone. So let's take it with personal responsibility. All right? Don't say this is for somebody else. Don't put somebody else's name in your margin. All right? This is for so-and-so. No, it's for us. All of us. This is where we need to be. Three of them are descriptive. They're terms that should describe you. They're called participles. One of them is a command, and we didn't get that far. But let me review the participles first, because these were important. The first one in verse number 20 is that you are to be one who is constantly building yourself up. That's the participle. Constantly is part of it. I didn't add anything to, to, you know, just make it sound wonderful. This is what the Greek looks like when you tear it apart. It's constantly. You are to be one who is, and that's, by the way, a present tense. That's now. Not, oh, well, I'll get to that next year. You know, I'll get to that three years from now. He wants it now. He, matter of fact, he says it in such a way that he says, this is who you are, not who I hope you are. I asked you last week, is he assuming too much of us? What he's describing his readers as are those who are constantly engaged in building up themselves in the faith. They are constantly making progress. They are constantly building higher and higher and higher. Is that a good description of us? Can we wear that proud in a proud way? Or does that make you feel a little self-conscious? Or maybe a little guilty? Maybe a little ashamed that you haven't spent time building? Have you been building this week? I talked about this last week. You've had seven days to think about it. Has it been miserable? Thinking, oh, I didn't do that, Pastor. Let's move on. No, I'm not going to move on. Because I want to talk about this. Have you been doing this? Living up to your description. Paul, when he was speaking to the men of Ephesus, in Acts chapter 20, he said these things. Therefore, be on the alert, verse 31, by the way, for those who are punching it into their machine. Acts 20, 31. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each of one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. Here's Paul. This is the last time he's going to see the Ephesian believers, as far as we know. He thought so. He knew he'd go back to Jerusalem and get arrested. He thought, well, that's the end of that. And so he meets him on the shore, on the trip home. And he stops by and he's talking to him and he says, I gave you everything I could for three years. I dumped myself into you, admonishing you and building you and building you and building you. But there's one thing I can't do. I can't cause you to grow. That's your department. That's why he says, I commend you to God in the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. Because it's not based on your pastor, folks. It's 
not based on your Sunday school teacher. It's not based on your elder or whoever else you use that teaches you. It's God's grace and your involvement in it. Are you growing? Are you building? Are you building? Romans fourteen nineteen. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do you know that you have a responsibility more than just your own, but for the person sitting next to you as well? You are to be building them up too. You ever thought about that? You know how much nicer this world would look if everybody went about building up each other? Wouldn't that be great? Do you expect that in the world? Probably not. You should expect it in the church. That's what the church is for. It's to build up one another. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Whatever the Lord has given you as a gift, use it for the church. To build up the church. The church needs that. If you're not using your gifts for the church, I, I want you to stop and read that verse again. That's 1 Corinthians 14.12. Let's just move a little farther. 1 Corinthians 14.26. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. But let all things be done for edification. Whatever is brought to the table... Does it build up your brother and sister? Think about it. Does it build them up? Too often than not, we tear each other apart in our society. We look for the flaws. We look for the things that make us look good and make the other person look bad. And we build ourselves up at their expense. Wouldn't it be great if we turned that around and we built them up? You know how far Jesus went down to lift you up? And we're supposed to follow in his steps. Here's another set of verses. Ephesians 4. These are my favorites. 12 through 16. Listen carefully. We're talking about the equipping of the saints for the work of service. To the building up of the body of Christ. The saints are to work that the body of Christ build up. Until, when are we done? When are we done? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I can stop building you when you look like Christ. See it? As a result, if we do this, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, tricked by, the, by men, the craftiness of deceitful scheming. These guys in the book of Jude won't stun us. But we speak the truth in love, and we are to grow up in all aspects into Him, Christ, who is our head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, that's, you belong to this, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body and the building up of itself in love. 
That could be a purpose statement that we could paste on our wall. What are we here for? We're here together to build one another up until we look like Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And how are you going to do that if you're not being built up in the faith? How are you going to participate in that if you're not active in what Jude is telling us to do in verse 20? If that doesn't describe you, you're letting down all your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because you just saw the purpose of what we're all here for. Personally, we must invest in our own faith being built up because we're given the responsibility to build up our brothers and sisters as well. We must understand this. This is what we're here for, and we have to take personal responsibility. I'm here for you. And so I need to take my growth seriously so that you can grow too. Please think that way. It's important. Uh, Hebert, D. Edmund Hebert, great scholar. I loved his works. He said the key element in the antidote for apostasy is a vital and growing relationship with God. Notice, it's not 12 points of an outline. It's not this program, that program. It's not go through this school, that seminary, anything else. He says, here's your answer to all this trouble in the book of Jude. It's build yourselves up in the most holy faith. (laughs) That's the answer. And if you ask God tomorrow, guess what he'll tell you? I need you to build yourself up in the most holy faith. And guess what he's going to tell you next week if you ask him? I need you to build yourself up in the most holy faith. You know, when he doesn't change, it's going to stick this way. This is what he wants us to know. That's his answer. And you say, well, why is that so important? Because that's totally contradictory to the false teachers and what they're trying to get you to do. They want you to deny the Lord. They want you to turn away from him and turn his grace into all kinds of terrible things. And, and that's their habits, and that's what they're trying to build into you. A habit that doesn't trust God. This world doesn't want you to trust God. So let's do it on purpose. Isn't that a great way to start? Let's do it on purpose. That's what's expected of us. Let's do it. Verse 20 also added the idea of prayer, right? Again, you touch this topic, Pastor, and it's going to make me squirm. I know. I'm looking in the mirror. I, I, it's, harder, it's harder as a pastor, I'll tell you that much, to preach and say, do this, do this, do this, and then know who I am. You are to be described as ones who are constantly praying in the Holy Spirit. That's a description that I hope he's not assuming too much of us. But that's an expectation, that we are praying kind of people. Is that too big for us? Is that convicting? (laughs) That Jude is putting this on us as believers? Is this something that we have to work hard on to live up to? Do you know that those who do not pray fit the picture of the false teacher? I hate to present it this way, but listen carefully. In verse number 8, it says that they reject authority. They reject authority. 
It also says in verse 15 that they are ungodly. And you say, well, that, that's, that's a terrible term. That's not me. I'm not like that. Do you know what ungodly means in the Hebrew or in the Greek? The letter A is the negation word, ah, not. And the second part of the word is worship. No worship. That's what an ungodly person is at the heart. They are against God. Ungodly. They're against him. You say, well, I, I understand that. They're pretty bad people. But what is prayer? Isn't it dependence, really, at its core? It's dependence. Isn't prayer obedience as well? Have we been told enough in Scripture that we're to pray? And the false teachers have no desire to do that. See, they don't accept God's authority. And they do everything that's not worshipful. They are not praying people. What they, what they want and what they want you to be is self-reliant. They, they want you to be stubborn like they are. They want you to be disobedient to what you've been called to do. And you may say, but it's only prayer. <laughs> only? It's only prayer. We must pray. It reminds us that we are dependent upon our Heavenly Father, doesn't it? It's an act of obedience, isn't it? And yet everything is pulling us away from that. You know it. And it's such a hard thing for us to build and to be. We must pray. There's a verse that says we have to pray with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Do you realize that if you are not praying, you are also letting your brother down? R.A. Torrey said this once, I must pray and pray and pray. I must put all my energy and my heart into prayer. Whatever else I must do, I must pray. I must pray. We pray in the Spirit because the false teacher is devoid of the Spirit. We are meant to be different. That's that word but in verse number 20. How does that link with the theme, God is able? Somebody had said it's impossible for that man who prays to despair, who remembers that his helper is omnipotent. I said, oh yes. Who are you talking to when you pray? The one who is able. Do we not need that reminder? Guess where you're going to get it? Keep going to him in prayer. Keep going to him in prayer. Let that dependence build. You know, our whole country is built on independence. But the church is all built on dependence. Dependence on God. And the more we depend upon him, the more we grow. And the more we stand up on our own, the more we fail. Isn't that true? That's where it's at for me. 
the vine and the branches, the whole story. Read it, John 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. That's a big statement on dependence. So I said that before you because that's what prayer looks like. And I ask you, in this mirror of God's Word, how you look in that question, it's just a characteristic trait that should be of every believer, one who is constantly praying in the Spirit. And you can look in that mirror, and I can look at that mirror and say, probably this, border, I've got work to do. Do it. Don't put it off another day. Say, now I start. This is where I'm going to grow, and I'm going to do it for my brother and sister in Christ. Verse 21, there's also those who are constantly awaiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. They're waiting for him to come. They have an eye on heaven, and they can't wait to be with him. And I just ask you, is that true of your heart today? Is that what you want? I have to confess, when I was young, I never thought that I wanted that. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? I said, Lord, there's certain things I want to know in life first. You ever think that way? Or am I weird? I said, I want to get driver's license. I want to go to college. I, I want to get married. I want to have a family. I want to have a job. I want to do this. I want to do that. And could you wait maybe 20 or 30 years? Oh, you guys thought that too. I know it. These are the guys who expect to receive him soon. That's all the whole nature of hope. It's your confident expectation. All of these passages you see in Jude, you see in Peter, you see in Timothy, Second Timothy, they're all standing there in trouble, calling on you to walk by faith, pray constantly, keep your eye on heaven. All the while, it's the end times and terrible things are going around. All of these passages have the same thing to them. Yes, it's tough. Yes, you have to trust Him. Yes, it's pretty bad out here. But don't stop looking for the day He's coming. And keep saying that. Don't stop looking for Him. Don't stop looking for Him. Don't stop looking for Him. And I, I'm not going to go through all the passages. It's another whole page here. But if you want to look them up, Second Peter 3. Go to Second Timothy chapter 4. You've got it here in Jude 2. Keep your eyes open because the Lord Jesus Christ is coming. Look for His mercy. It's coming your way. It's coming your way. It's our duty to be that way. It's our duty to expect God to keep His promises. We have to do that. That's a part of faith, but that's also encouraging to my brothers and sisters when I do it. And that's encouraging when you do that and you talk to me about these things. I, I just find it interesting that in our current theological circles, that churches are wanting to remove the doctrines of eschatology from their doctrinal statements because they call them divisive. They said, let's take that out. It's always divisive. We don't want to cause trouble. But they are robbing us of something very important. When they take that out of the picture, they take away our hope. What we have anchored ourselves to, what is causing us to live godly in an ungodly day, something that encourages us to trust God. It's written in Scripture, He's coming. We need to put it down in black and white. We need to write it right here. 
And we need to keep it right here before our eyes. Don't let this world tell you, and don't even let the church tell you, eschatology is not important. Huh. It certainly is. I could give you passage after passage if we had a lot of time to. I, I get to it once in a while, don't I? But these are descriptive terms for you. As brothers living in ungodly days, as those who are loved by God, we are to have the characteristics of those who are building up by faith, praying by the Spirit, looking forward to Jesus coming. That's our three descriptives. And the last thing is the command. It's real simple, and, and it's short. And you say, well, Pastor, you only got two minutes. I could do it. You ready? <laughs> Verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. What is that? What, what, is Jude telling us something strange here? Is he telling us that we might fall out? Is he, what, what, what does he mean by keep yourselves in the love of God? Well, I've already started the sermon with the fact that you cannot separate yourself from the love of God. You know that? You're that, nor any other creature, in Romans chapter 8. You ever figured that one out? When I finally saw that in Scripture, I said, Oh my! For years I thought I could be the one. Nothing else could separate me from God's love, but I could. And then I saw, and no other created thing could separate you from the... And I said, Oh, that's me. <laughs> Even I can't do it. And I was glad to read it. But what does this mean? Keep yourself. It's the word guard. Guard. See, you cannot fall out of God's love because that would contradict Scripture. Romans 8 makes that very clear. But what Jude is saying is this. God's love is already yours. Right? I marked that. I proved that, I think. But it's also your protection. It's your protection in this world, too. You are seeking protection in the day of a false teacher. You are seeking help in your efforts to rescue those who have fallen to the deception of the false teacher. Verse 22 and 23. You have protection in the love of God. You have that. It's not much different than the fact that we return and return and return to the same point. God is able. God will keep us. God is able. God will keep us. This is where you are kept, in the love of God. We guard ourselves in the fact that God loves us and God is able. What am I guarding here, folks? I'm guarding my mind. I'm guarding my heart. These things want to trip me up. They fall for the stuff that other people tell me. I walk around with circumstances pounding on me, and then I doubt that God loves me, and I'm frustrated. And then I'm trying to read, and I say, oh, I just can't do this. And, and you get frustrated, and it goes over and over and over and over again. And he says, stop. God loves you. Hide yourself in there. Guard yourself in there. Come back to it over and over, over and over. Come back to it. See, this is, this is where we find our strength. This is where we find our, our ability to survive everything around us. It's a reminder that God loves you. Guard that, please. Guard it. Because that's what they want to take away from you. 
Guard that. You're not guarding God's love for you. You're guarding your understanding of God's love for you. Guard yourself in the love of God. It's His love. It's always great because God is able. He's able to keep you from falling. He's able to make you stand in His presence with great joy. He is completely, perfectly, permanently loving you. So go there. Spend your time there. Grow there. You see how beautiful it is? It's that place you can go and always know that God is able and I can trust Him. Isn't that where we like to go when we're having trouble? Isn't that our refuge in the day of storm? Isn't that our little cleft in the rock? Isn't that what we're called to do? Just keep going back to Him. That's called trust. To keep yourself in His love is not something great that you're doing on your part. That means you know where the safety is. (laughs) So go. Get back there. And grow. Grow in that place. Now, we're going to cover the second part next week. Right? And that's the way they have distorted the identity of our Lord. It grieves me. I, I really find it hard to study it. But I, I see that too, and, and folks, I don't want to be that kind of a person that looks at my Lord in the wrong eyes, and they want to distort your understanding of Him. We're going to hit that next week, okay? You got enough to do this week now? There's a lot to do, but that's the four things, and we'll keep bringing them up as we go. But that command stands before all of us. Keep yourselves, keep yourselves in the love of God. Get back there. And rest and trust and grow. That's important. You do it for yourself, but do it for your brothers too. Heavenly Father, your word is powerful. It hits us right in the heart as we study through these things. We've got a lot to learn and a lot to be. But thank you for your faithfulness to us. Always the same. Always, always loving us at such an intense level. Constantly, we praise you for that. Thank you for it. Keep our eyes there, our heart there. Keep keep our desires there. Help us to grow in the love of God. Help us to be what we're called to be so that we might be strong. We need to be strong. So work with each of us, Lord, that together as a body of Christ, we will be a strong church. And I pray for this now in Jesus' name. Amen.